this week on Crossing the Lane Lines. Well, I'm, I was a little bit surprised they didn't even call him because they really don't want trans voices in this because trans because trans voices, even the ones that are more moderate, are going to really call you out on this. And there's a lot to be called out on in regards to how Leah has been treated by the media, how she's being treated by the NCAA, and how trans kids across this country seem to be the targets of the Republicans' let's try and take back Congress campaign in 2022. Again, the people that are really pushing this the hardest, this has nothing to do about sports. And once again, who's being targeted? Young people especially. And I'd like to ask some of these people as well. I'm pretty sure that some of these people that are doing this and are engaging in this hate, your parents, how would you like it if somebody came came after your kids like this? This week on Crossing the Lane Lines, Leah Thomas, a trans female swimmer on the University of Pennsylvania's women's swim team, has caused quite an uproar, not only in the swimming world, but amongst the general public as well. Many claim that opposing Thomas's participation in women's sports has nothing to do with her being a trans athlete. However, over the last 10 years, multiple states have banned trans athletes from participating in sports alongside their cisgendered counterparts. But what's really going on with these bans? Is there a more broader agenda? And how does this tie in to the black community in general and the black swim community in particular? We'll speak to Carly Webb, sports journalist and athlete, about Thomas, the bans, and what's really going on in the broader context of this divide. All this and more coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. During this current collegiate swim season, the focus has centered not on whether powerhouses like Florida, Indiana, Auburn, Georgia, Texas, or Cal will claim another NCAA championship, but rather on one swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, Leah Thomas. Thomas is a senior on Penn's women's swim team who previously swam for three years on the men's team before transitioning to, being, to becoming a woman. Thomas, who has followed the NCAA requirements for transgender athlete participation and worked hard at her sport under these guidelines, has faced a storm of criticism from parents, coaches, swimmers, sports commentators, basically everybody. Former Olympic gold medalists like Michael Phelps and Caitlyn Jenner have both come out against transgender women competing with their cisgender counterparts. Phelps going so far as to say that trans female athletes competing is akin to doping. Lost in all of this hysteria of whether or not Thomas should compete with other women is the fact that this whole issue is really not about sports at all, but more about an attack on the trans community in general. Join us to talk more about the Leah Thompson issue and a full range of topics that accompany it is Carly Webb. Webb has been in sports journalism and sports broadcasting for over 26 years. She is currently a contributor writer for Outsports and a host of Transporter Room podcasts, centering on the intersection between transness and sports. 
In addition, she is a lifelong athlete and budding dual athlete. Carly Webb, welcome to Crossing the Lean Lines. Hey, Najee, it's great to be here. And when this podcast is over, you're going to give me some tips to help me get over my fear of water so I can become a budding triathlete. <laughs> all right, I promise I'll do that. Carly, this is this first question is my favorite, and I love to start all my podcasts with it. Tell us about your sports background and how you parlayed that into a career. Well, my sports background, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, So, and I grew up loving sports. I grew up in a family that loved sports. Dad was a competitive athlete. I had a lot of relatives who were. So, I mean, you you came into this world with a ball or and tennis shoes in your crib. That's just how it worked. And I just stayed with it. Um, I stayed with it all the way up, in fact, through high school. But I realized that my body wasn't growing as fast as my ambitions. But I found this thing called sports journalism and sports television, which I also grew up. I mean, I grew up watching and grew up listening to sports. I mean. You put me in front of the TV on the Saturday afternoon. It was me and Wide World of Sports. It went when I was a little kid. I wanted to be Rune Arledge when I grow when I grow up, and from there, got my d journalism degree from Northwestern University. I kind of stumbled into a position at a local TV station, in Omaha, where I ended up being on air for for a few years, and then from there, took a job at the eventually took a job as a producer as a field producer at one of the largest entities in broadcasting ESPN and I was there for 18 years until 2017 when unfortunately I ran into that corporate downsizing got laid off and ever since then been doing a lot of freelance audio and video work and also found a complete switching of gears for me in a sense I I became a staff operator at Trans Lifeline in 2019 where a couple of years before I while I was finding myself, I also found my truth and started my transition around 2017. Two years later, became a staff operator at Trans Lifeline, started writing for Outsports later that year. And that's pretty much where I am now, getting an opportunity to do something I love, which is be a part of sports and continuing to be an, a competitive athlete, triathlon, duathlon, softball, flag football, you name it, I'll play it. And plus, Hey, I've done a couple marathons here and there, even though I love the half marathon, I love the 10K distance even better. But sports is like oxygen to me. It, you, you can't take it out of me. I love it. And now I'm doing the things I want to do and doing them authentically. And that's made all the difference in the world. Carly, the NCAA has recently ruled that each sport can decide for themselves what the requirements for trans athletes are in order for them to compete in their area of competition. Now, this seems very arbitrary to me. Swimming might have very strict requirements that all but exclude a trans athlete from competing and other sports could have different criteria that could be even more strict or less strict. It all sounds as if the NCAA seems to be washing its hands of all this to avoid angering the cisgender community. Now, I'm wondering if you could give us your thoughts on this recent decision. My thoughts, and at a visceral level, this was the NCAA responding to a tantrum by the transphobic lobby in this country. And they caved in, and they caved in big time. They know what's going on in the landscape right now. 38 states have either passed or are attempting to pass anti-trans legislation. 
10 states have already passed this legislation saying that transgender youth can be discriminated against in their schools through denying them the opportunity to compete in interscholastic athletics. And some of them want to want to advance this to the collegiate level. The NCAA, first, let's talk about the rule for a second. The, the rule itself is not a bad idea. The NCAA trying to get in line with the, with the international standards, the standards that the IOC has put up. On points, that's not a bad idea. If anything, that could possibly, possibly bridge the divide between the NCAA and the individual sporting governing bodies in this country, which is something that is decades overdue. That adversarial relationship has gone on as long as there have been college sports and Olympic sports in this country. It's time for that divide to be mended. It's past time, and this could help do that. The biggest problem I have with the rule for starters is you don't do this in the middle of a competitive season. You don't. Even if you have a good plan in place, you take time, you talk to people, you phase this thing in, you have it ready, for example, for next fall. But right now, in the middle of a competitive season, especially in the case of swimming, where kids are kids are getting ready to taper for the conference championships or for the national championships, it's it's serious times. It's it is high stakes poker time in collegiate swimming. You're going for the championships now. To have this type of rule change, if it affects one kid, it's one kid too many. And it's a question I want to ask, Najee. Certain people, such as the Nancy Hoghead, Hogshead Maycars of the world, talk about fairness. Here's my question. When does Leah Thomas get some? Hmm. Because this is not fair to her. That she now has to file extra paperwork and go through all these, all, all these things. Things that... We don't even know what the things he's going through are yet, because remember, USA Swimming, who the NCAA is trying to is trying to pitch this off to, now they have a process that's been in place since 2018 that involves a review panel, and if they don't have the rules on it, then they kick it upstairs to FINA, and then FINA kicks it upstairs to the IOC, and the IOC will probably will most likely say at this point, well, remember the new IOC guidelines don't start in March. And according to the NCAA rules, she has to start getting paperwork in around the time of Ivy League championships. That's February 16th. The national championships is March 16th. That's four weeks where she has to start filing in paperwork and the new IOC rules have not gone into effect yet. That means most likely the old 10 nanomole standard, the outgoing standard is what's going to be used. And you know how bureaucracies work in any national governing body, Najee. She could be in a situation where she could fly to Atlanta, the site of the Division I National Championships, a, a championship that by merit she's earned the right to take part in and be told you can't compete. She could get on a plane going down to Atlanta not knowing if she, could, she is eligible to compete or not and then get there and find out even just before her first event at those championships that, oh, by the way, you're ineligible. Sorry, go back to Philadelphia. Is that fair to Leah? That possibility, if I was a coach or an athletic director, that would piss me off if you took my kid through that. 
And that's a possibility that the NCAA is staring down the barrel of right now because of this knee-jerk reaction to transphobic lobbies in this country. Leah Thomas, as you mentioned, followed the NCAA rules concerning trans athletes. To the letter. To the letter. And part of the conversation concerning all this is whether or not the NCAA policy is working. Now, of course, this all comes down to what your definition of working might be. For a lot of folks out there, working would mean preventing, as you've just now said, and other trans athletes, the opportunity to compete. Carly, I'm wondering if you could expound upon this because this is, this is where some of the confusion is starting to come in where words are being used this way and people are expressing them this way. And it's really coming down to, basically it's, it's, it's unfair to athletes like Leah and others, you know, but using it as the guys like saying, well, we're trying to see if this is working or not. Well, first off, it depends on what metric. To begin with, let's talk a little bit, let's get a little history. This policy was developed over the course of two years between 2009 and its final implementation in 2011, during which the NCAA, and by the way, you can read this. You can read this for yourself. It is online. It is available. The old policy, if, or now the outgoing policy, you can read it. But the quick history on this is they brought together stakeholders. The NCAA realized that there had been some issues as far as those who wanted to come out and compete as themselves and couldn't because there was no rules for it. And this was maybe eight, this was eight years after the Stockholm statement in 2003, which opened the door to transgender participation at the, at the Olympic level, the elite level. The NCAA wanted to get a policy together that could work for, for college student athletes. So they brought together stakeholders. They brought together people like our, our Nick Gorton, who is a excellent doctor in the San Francisco area. He's a trans man, he's a physician, understands these issues. They brought together Pat Griffin then with the University of Massachusetts, who in many ways is the, is the guru of inclusion. They also brought Helen Carroll from National, Le from National Lesbian Rights Center. They brought, she was a part of these early discussions. They brought stakeholders together and they said, okay, first, what don't we know? There's a lot we don't know. Tell us what don't we know and what do we need to know to build these policies? And from there, they built a very simple, flexible, workable policy. And there were athletes that were affected by this literally from 2011. I interviewed one of them, a young man named Taylor Edelman, who was a volleyball player at Division III Purchase College just outside of New York City. Taylor began his collegiate career on the women's volleyball team. In fact, they in, fact, in high school, they were a they were a sought after product they're they're from where i live in connecticut and they were sought after after but during that time they have been struggling with their gender identity and after their sophomore year after his sophomore year at purchase he said no i can't after his freshman year at purchase rather he said i can't take this anymore i'm a man and i'm moving forward because that's who i am that's where that's my place in the world and started his and start his transition after after his sophomore year purchase by that time he had started 
hormone replacement therapy, started testosterone and said, I want to play for the men's volleyball team. And he did and was a very solid player for two years and senior year was captain of Purchase College men's volleyball. But the point is, for the most part, this policy hasn't been used often, but when it has been used, it's worked. And it has worked to give kids opportunity. It has worked to give kids a place to still be in their sport and be themselves. It, to me, it's largely been, it's largely been done and it's been done successfully. The real of it is to the people who want exclusion, it's a rule, Najee. You know what that rule is? We don't mind trans women competing as long as they always lose. But what happens is you had one kid. Now, this is, this is another thing. These people who talk about domination. From the time this policy has been implemented to now, you've had more than 2 million NCAA student athletes. How many of them have won at least a conference championship at any level? Najee, give me a guess. I wouldn't even be able to venture a guess. Two. That's at every level. Two. Two have won a conference championship. One was in Division I, one was in Division II. In Division I, Juniper Eastwood, University of Montana, Big Sky champion, at their indoor track and field championships in the 16, in the mile run in 2020. The only other conference champion that you've had as a transgender student athlete was in division two. Oh, by the way, the same person was also the first transgender student athlete and the only one to earn all American status in her sport and the only and the first and still only transgender student athlete to win an individual NCAA national championship. That was CeCe Telfer, Franklin Pierce University, 400 meter hurdles, division two track and field outdoor in 2019. That's it, two. At Outsports, myself and, and our, and our co-founder Sid Ziegler have been tracking the number of transgender athletes who've been a part of a college team since the college team ever, ever that we know of. And so far we're at 28, 28 total out of millions of athletes. So Carly, what you're telling me is, is this is a negligible percentage. I mean, it's less than 1% of any athletes in the NCAA levels. Is that what you're telling me? By numbers, based on the number, based on the, based on the population statistics of transgender people in this country, we we should have an average of maybe a hundred a year we're nowhere near that or at least those who are out and not everyone is out but of those who are out it's maybe one or two athletes a year it's maybe one or two athletes a year and the this whole idea of oh my god they're taking over and they're these biological males wow gonna take over and dominating that that those are lies being perpetrated on people who don't know what the stats are by people who know the stats and are counting on you being ignorant. You know, none of Thomas's teammates, at least as far as I know, have spoken on the record about their opinion on the matter. 
though some have chosen to do so anonymously to voice their concerns. Now, here's a couple of quotes from a teammate of Thomas's. The first quote, she compares herself to Jackie Robinson. She, she said she's like the Jackie Robinsons of trans sports, close quote. Now, here is another anonymous source. Quote, she laughs about it and mocks the situation. Instead of caring or showing that she cares about what she's doing or what she's doing to her teammates, she's not sympathetic or empathetic at all. Leah never addressed our team. She never asked if it was okay. She never asked how we felt. She never tried to explain how she feels. She never has said anything to us as a group. She never addressed anything, close quote. You know, I'm sorry, but when I'm reading these quotes, Carly, I can't help but think about the black swimmers that enter into white spaces and the pain and anguish that they've had to endure. I think this will be a true test for the swim community and the white swim community in particular, and how they say that they would like to be inclusive by how they treat this young woman. Because I remember reading something where a swimmer said there were pro that they were pro-LGBTQI plus rights, but they felt that Leah being allowed to swim with cisgender women was a bridge too far. Carly, isn't this the same sort of pseudo allyship we've heard from folks who felt that Blacks should be allowed to live wherever they choose so long as it's not in our backyard or our neighborhood or in our swimming pool? Pretty much. And to me, that's, I mean, it's very, and it's very good that you're bringing these, these things out into light because there's a lot of, I'm, I want to ask you, as somebody who is black and is a part of this sport, how do you feel about people who say that that those people are co-opting? At one level, you black folks used to say about this, why you want to swim? That's white folks stuff right there. That's mm -hmm. white folks stuff. At another level, there are people say being, I'm just wondering, as a black cisgender man who who's about who is about liberation. Because let's face it, I've, I've listened to your podcast to know enough. You ain't about assimilation. You're about liberation. How Amen. do you feel about those who say, I'm, I want to get a black sister interview in this. How do you feel about those who say that the LGBTQ movement is not our movement? Y'all need, need to quit tweaking off the black foot off the civil rights movement. You see, this is something that I've had an issue with for a long time. You can't go ahead and decide that I'm going to have this one group that I'm going to be down with and this other group, other group I'm not going to be down with. Um, I'll give you an example. It's it's akin, and I've said this many times before, uh, and it's going to sound rough uh, to a lot of Black folks listening to it, but I don't care. Say, for instance, I'm a field Negro out there toiling away in the sun, trying to do what I need to do. And we got the house Negroes up there looking at me, kind of like, you know, side eye and saying, well, you know, if you were lighter, if you were darker, you know, you'd be okay. You know, I'm living high off the hog. The mass is taking care of me. Here's what the house Negro does not understand. If you step out of line, that same whip that came across me is going to come across you. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're in the house or not. You will find out what your place is. The same is true for thinking that if I don't support this group, well, that's, that's on them. They're going to have to do what they're going to, have to, um, going to have to do. You don't understand. This is a systematic thing, in my opinion, that they are doing. They will go after the trans community. They will go after the LGBT community. They are definitely going after the brown community and they've always been going after us. So I don't see how you cannot equate the two. That's my opinion on it. Well, you see, I see it the same way. And 
this is if nothing else there needs to be solidarity among athletes i had an opportunity to talk to for example a young trans man who's a swimmer in division three at oberlin college ohio lucas draper who wrote an excellent from the heart op-ed for swimmingworldmagazine.com talking about the issue is not leah thomas the issue is the rules but and by the way i'm very proud of this young man for stepping out and speaking out but I think more athletes need to be speaking out. It was good that Jacob Peebley spoke out. That was very important that that, that a U.S. Olympic swimmer spoke out. It's good, that Colin jo- and it's good that Colin Jones also endorsed that speaking out. It was good to see that. And I think we need more of that because what you're asking is very, is very appropriate. Discriminate, I'm a believer. First off, yes, I am, tra- I am trans. Yes, I am a trans woman, but I'm also black as the day is long, and they are not mutually exclusive. I am not black or trans. I am black and trans. Let's understand this. And before I get back to Leah, I wanna I wanna point out since we since we're getting on liberation, let's remember how many of these issues came to the forefront. They still talk about two young black teenage girls of trans experience. Who all, who all they want to do is run track for their high schools where I live in Connecticut. They're in college now, but they're still talked about when people want to try and pass this anti-trans legislation. And they were dragged through the mud by a K Street Christian Dominionist hit squad called the Alliance Defending Freedom. And I will, and I know, and I'm also a Christian, but I'm, I find it very hard to forgive them for that, for the ugliness that they showed to those two, to those two kids. The same way that I saw the ugliness from a proud black trans woman named Cece Telfer, whose only her only crime was running 400 meter hurdles faster than anybody else on a particular day of a Division II national championship in Texas. And this girl went through things that no child should have, that no one's kid should have to go through. The same way that Leah Thomas is. So, to me what we need we need greater solidarity we need people speaking out but this is the same thing what we're seeing again oh we don't i hear this like john lawn from swimmingworld.com from swimmingworldmagazine.com perfect example and he got he started out being very conciliatory and then all his all the things he wrote got more and more and more retrogressive and reactionary at one point, he's talking about things like, well, why don't we just give the trans, you know, just give those trans like an exhibition lane or exhibition race. What kind of, what crock is that, Najee? You don't have to uh, censor your words if you don't wish. What kind of bullshit is that? I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to put that up. What kind of bullshit is that? Seriously, that's it's what crazy. we're really, but that's what we're really talking about here. What we're really talking about here is again. Oh, you can be trans, just don't be trans near me or don't be trans this way. It's no different than saying, why you blacks gotta be like that? Why can't you blacks just accept your play? It's the same thing, just a new game. Every group, whether it's in sports or in life has dealt with this. And and in some ways we're still dealing with it. And right now we're dealing with a process in this country to where people wanna turn that clock back. And I think people need to understand this to the people that are pushing this 
to really answer your question, I want to point this out because this is this is the one thing I want people to understand about this issue. The people that are pushing this exclusion, for them, this is not about sports. It's not. It's not about sports. It's about erasure. And not just erasure of trans people, but erasure of LGBTQ people, erasure of do civil rights. These people want to turn the clock back to that leave it to beaver trip from the 1950s. And this is a beginning for them. And if you think this is conspiratorial, or if you think I'm, I'm trying to sell you a bill of goods, go to the websites of these groups like the ADF and like Focus on the Family and the Family Resource Council and the Family Research Council rather, and look at their position papers. You know, Maya Angelou said it best, when people show you who they are, believe them. They tell you who they are in the position papers. They've even gone as far as to say, you know what, our strategy is to separate the T from that LGB, and then we're going to get rid of the T, and then we're going to come after the rest of you. And come after things like reproductive rights. And come after Price Waterhouse, especially cisgender women. That's important to you because that... That told the business that they no, have the, no longer have the right to tell you you're not feminine enough for our workplace. That case was adjudicated in 1989. That's not all that long ago, people. They want to roll back a lot of rights. They're already trying to roll back voting rights. This is all part of the same system. To the people that are pushing this and making Leah Thomas this, this Godzilla, I call it the monster movie mentality, it's not about sports to them. See what's behind the mask, because there's a lot there. I appreciate that answer. I really do. And I want to move forward. As I mentioned in my introduction, Michael Phelps and Caitlyn Jenner have both come out against Leah's participation. And they're not the only ones. Olympic gold medalist, Nancy Hogshead Marker, a staunch opponent of trans athlete inclusion, had this to say on Twitter, and I'd like to get your thoughts afterward. Quote, if you create a definition of gender that is based on social rather than biological differences, then you effectively destroy the female category, close quote. Now, it seems part of the defense of transphobic commentators is to say that they are trying to protect female athletes' rights. This seems odd since most do not demand pay equity or more seats at the table for women in places of power and so on. I mean, am, am I missing something, Carly? Isn't that correct? No, you're not. And there are two tiers to where we can get a better answer on this. First, I wanna talk about directly what you're talking about. Most of these transphobes, be it the Linda Blades of the world, be it groups like that, that group Save Women's Sports, which is really a front group for a lot of organizations. And I'm not just, I'm not just tell, telling you this to say it, it's on their website. Remember, their website stands groups like ADF and Focus on the Family, groups that have never, never in their existence supported rights for women. And these groups have fought. I find it very interesting that the very people that have tried to kill Title IX since it was incepted in 1972 are now defenders of it? Come on. Really? I mean, I don't know who you're fooling. You're not fooling me with that. And you shouldn't be fooling anyone else. But I'd like to ask a lot of these transphobes, okay, 
okay, you're for women, you're for women's rights. How did you feel about what went down with USA Gymnastics? Answer that question. Because I'll answer these people's questions. How did you feel about what went down with Larry Nasser? How do you feel about that? What's your thoughts on the WNBA's collective bargaining agreement that they passed a couple of years ago, which is probably the most forward-thinking collecting bargaining agreement of any professional sport in regards to how they treat the athletes and how they treat the athletes, not just as athletes, but as women, as people who are part of families, how families involved in it. I'll say this, uh, Major League Baseball players, you're in the middle of this lock of this lockout right now. You need to look what the WNBA did to build your new contract. In fact, every sport should. Every sport should because it's forward thinking and it's humane. But a lot of these people, they don't have an opinion on that. I've had these people, I've had some of these, these turfs tell me, oh, we don't care about, that's not our issue. That's not our issue. We're just about fairness. No, this is a part of fairness. You know, if I had a daughter playing sports, I don't want some team doctor molesting them. What's your thoughts about that? What's your thoughts about things such as as pay equity and resource equity at the intercollegiate level and the interscholastic level? They don't talk about that. It seems like a lot of these people all of a sudden want to defend women's rights when trans women are involved in it or they want to defend women. I mean, OutKick hasn't done a positive story about women's sports ever, and now all of a sudden, y'all want to be defenders of women's sports when you're often demeaning them? Don't fall for the okey-doke on that. Let's be real about who's really defending women's sports here. And another thing, these are the same people, and this really bothers me, Najee, these are the same people that say you're defending women's sports and then they'll turn around and say simone manuel is slower than 10,000 high school boys how insulting is that that you insult an olympic champion by putting her accomplishments immediately through a male gaze i find it interesting that people who claim to defend women's sports are always just belittling and demeaning them and oftentimes these are women these are women who claim to be about women doing it and they sound no different than the various flavors of male chauvinist pork that are out there it's sick and it's wrong but at another level let's talk about nancy hogshead for a minute because i'm going to say i'm going to say something very important about a three-time olympic gold medal winner who became a lawyer and has fought for title nine I respect and admire what Nancy Hogshead has done for sports. Nancy Hogshead has stood up to defend Title IX in a lot of situations where she got a lot of brickbats thrown at her for doing it. She talked about things such as the situation as far as molestation and safety for women and girls in sports. And those things, to me, make her a hero for sport. They do. And I think it's sad that she's willing to sell out that legacy to engage in vulgar transphobia. And I've told her so on Twitter. I've told her so. And I think it's sad that she's willing to stake that legacy and sell that legacy out for 20 pieces of transphobia and really, in another extension, 20 pieces of patriarchy. You know, one of the things I find very interesting about this whole issue is the number of straight cisgender people that are raising their voices in opposition. 
I'm not surprised since they feel that athletes like Leah are upsetting the status quo as you brilliantly mentioned previously. But what I find even more disturbing is that the mainstream media, though I'm not a fan, has barely gone out of its way to ask the opinions of trans people themselves or even other folks from the LGBTQ plus community. Carly, why is that? We don't need to ask why in many ways you know why. For the same reason that it's the same five or six black voices that get, that get trotted out there and have been for a long time, even though more and more of those are coming out. It's the same reason why even when you're talking about mainstream cisgender LGB, LGB issues, it's always the same two or three voices. Voice uh, and even in the swim, like in the swim community, Najee, how many people have how many people have taken your phone calls on on issues such as the soul cap I issue with FINA last year? Not many. Not many. <laughs> I mean, or or even covered that issue in general. I mean, not many people have talked about that. That issue is really important. And no one really wanted to talk, and no one really wanted to touch that issue. I'm pretty sure NBC didn't, and this happened, and this came down right for the Olympics last last year in Tokyo. Because in many ways, people, it it's the same old thing. It's just it's what you just talked about. As long as it's a, the mainstream media, in many ways, wants a relatively safe voice. They will rarely broach into getting a voice that will really call you, that'll call you any foolishness. And it's a rep, for example, on this issue, on this issue regarding whether it's the IOC's change in policy or Leah Thomas, there's only been one trans athlete that's been talked to by a mainstream media source. And that was when Dr. Veronica Ivey was interviewed on CNN. And she wasn't interviewed on the Frontline show. She was interviewed on, on Smirconish. I like Michael Smirconish, but, but it's a second-tier tier show on Sunday afternoon in the middle of the NFL season, so, you, so hardly anybody's watching. But for the most part, getting the voices of trans people, even, especially on trans issues, there are certain voices. Come, they don't even want to talk to the safer voices in our community. And there are voices that will that know how to smooth it over and make it palatable for cis people. But even those voices aren't talked to that much. And they certainly weren't talked to on this. For example, they're not going to talk to a, Jen a Jennifer Finney Boylan. And I love Jennifer Finney Boylan. I think she's wonderful and awesome. Or if they won't talk to my one of my mentors, Dawn Ennis, who is, in her own right is an excellent journalist, or talk to a Jillian Branstetter, or talk to... A, or talk to somebody like Caitlin Burns, who is a who is a trans person covering the White House, covering Capitol Hill. If they won't talk to them about this, and these are voices that are seen more acceptable, they certainly won't talk to a Raquel Willis about this. And Raquel has been interviewed about some trans issues, but not on this. They're not going to talk to they're not going to talk to black and brown voices. Definitely, they're not going to talk to those voices or voices that will call them out on their stuff like a Dr. Veronica Ivy would or or even what or even a Chris Mosier would because you notice nobody's really tried nobody's been ringing his phone that I haven't seen too much of Chris and Chris love him he gets out there but I'm, I was a little bit surprised they didn't even call him because they really don't want trans voices in this because trans because trans voices even the ones that are more moderate are going to really call you out on this and there's a lot to be called out on in regards to how Leah has been treated by the media, how she's being treated by the NCAA, and how 
trans kids across this country seem to be the targets of the Republicans. Let's try and take back Congress campaign in 2022. Again, the people that are really pushing this the hardest, this has nothing to do about sports. And once again, who's being targeted? Young people, especially. And I'd like to ask some of these people as well. I'm pretty sure that some of these people that are doing this and are engaging in this hate your parents. How would you like it if somebody came to, came after your kids like this? What if it was your child being demeaned and having to take time off school to go to a state capitol to lip sync for their lives the way brave brave kids like like little Kai Shapley, little little eleven year old girl down in te- down in Texas has had to do repeatedly, lip sync for her life to, to adults who ought to know better. As she said, I'm tired of having to talk, educate adults who want to make bad choices. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, it's funny, Carly, you know, I'm no fan of Don King, the legendary and controversial boxing promoter. But I remember in a documentary that was based on the fight of uh, you know, um, when we were kings between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, he was having a conversation about black worth to white people. And King made a comment that has stuck with me until this day. And I think it's very appropriate for what we're talking about. He said, talking about black people, quote, you are only important as you are necessary. And when I think about that, I realize that in the dominant culture, which is of course still white in this culture. We are only important as we are necessary. And we have known the struggle since 1619, we have known the struggles and how hard it is to try to find allyship. And we've talked about this briefly, but really how vitally important is it for black folks really to go out of their way to call out this transphobia, to call out the transphobia and racism that black you know, trans girls and boys have to deal with. Because like you said before, it's, it, it's, it's gonna come to us. There's, there's no way, you can't stop a tidal wave with a couple of sticks. Now she's already come to us. The same people that are trying to push all this anti-trans foolishness are the same people trying to take your voting rights away. They're the same people. They're the same, they are the same people. And they're trying to get even some of our people to look at, oh, look at these, look at these, these trans kids coming in your school, coming in your school, and they're going to be in your bathrooms, and they might mess with your daughter or whatever. Meanwhile, they're trying to, they're trying to dismantle your voting rights away when you ain't looking. So to me, there's no going out of their way. There's no going out of their way. This could be your child. This could be anyone's child. This is a matter of equal treatment of equal treatment. This is a matter of of the fundamental basis of human rights here. But it's very interesting that you use that quote. You are only as important as you are necessary. And I think of another important quote that talks about this same thing. Angela Davis, enemies are necessary. Enemies are necessary. And for the again, for the people that are pushing this, they need an enemy. And they've tried to make LGBT, they've tried to make LGBTQ people an enemy for years, except for one little problem. It ain't working. It ain't working. Why? For the same reason that making black people, 
it's kind of hard to make black folks an enemy when a black quarterback is on your son's wall when a black when a black recording artist is in your daughter's ipod when you are group when when the talk show when the when your favorite afternoon talk show for 25 years was hosted by a black woman whose name starts with an o and oh by the way everything she told every book she told you to read you read it kind of kind of hard to make an enemy of that when it comes to the culture they tried to make the culture war to lgb people and guess what they lost they're losing that's the real that's the real interesting part about this they're losing they tried to make marriage an issue lost they made military service an issue lost and they've certainly enough lost the popular culture when even when even tight riding the behind republicans like them some drag race you know you lost the dang culture and you certainly lost the culture with future generations future generations that are going to be growing up in a country that's getting a lot more black a lot more brown and a lot more gay you know this is their last in many ways this is a last stand this is the last stand of people that want to turn the clock back. It's their last stand. It's the last shot at the buzzer. It's a goal line stand for them. That's why they're trying to fight so hard. And all the more reason why those of us who are for human rights, we need to dig in and realize at the beginning, once again, like Angela Davis said, enemies are necessary. And right now they find one. One of the biggest goals is take that enemy away. And the best way you take an enemy away is by number one, shield, shielding and speaking out. Because that movable middle, because you know how they talk about that movable middle? The best way you move that movable middle is for starters by, by people being emboldened to speak out. Uh, every Jacob Peebley helps. And every time a group of other athletes like him speak out and say enough of this hate and enough of this exclusionary thought process, it helps. Enough of what, Nashi, enough of what you're trying to do, it helps. It not only helps flip the field for Leah, and also just by you being an example, for example, listening to your podcast has encouraged me to really go out there and get over, get over my fear of water, I've had since childhood and learned how to swim, not just for my sport, but for my life. And seeing black swim champions get out there and get in front of that issue, that was important. You know, representation does matter. And to see people represent, be it whether it's for more representation in the pool, more representation in these programs, or more representation in the greater cause of human rights, it's better for everybody and moves society forward. So to me, there is, to me, again, there's no difference in this, to me. There's no going out of the way in this. If we're going to build liberation, we got to get in all the fights. And every fight matters because we are not single-issue people, as Audre Lorde said. We don't leave single-issue lives. I've really appreciated you coming on the show today, and I want to give you one last chance if you have any final thoughts before we close well just just one first off i want to send i want to send a, actually two one a quick message to leah thomas leah 
thank you. Thank you for standing in those blocks, taking that start, and continuing to compete. And I know this is not easy. I know this has been hard. And it's been brutal. And it's been ugly. But I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone at all. There, there is a nation and a world of trans people, young and old, who stand in those blocks with you, who swim those lanes with you, who are rooting from you, who are rooting for you, rather, from all points in the globe, from, from a room in Connecticut to, to a cab in Australia to places across Europe and around the world, there are trans people in this world right now who are rooting for you. So you keep swimming. And to, and to all those listening out there, if you don't think this is your fight, think again. Because it's your fight too. Because to the people that are pushing this level of ignorance and this level of enmity and this level of hate, and let's just call it what it is, it's hate. Let's be real about who is pushing this the same people that are pushing this again they're the same people that that decided that you know what we are willing to run roughshod over the vote you cast in november 2020 we are willing to make we are willing to take away your vote we're willing to take away your rights we're willing to take away everything that you hold dear because we want power that's what this is about. This isn't about sport. And also, uh, also, I got to give one to the NCAA, to the people in Indianapolis. Let's be honest about this action. You caved in to the very people I just talked about. You caved in to a tantrum. And the only person who truly loses in this are the very people that your mission statement says that you're here to serve and protect a college student athlete that college student athlete deserved more from you than what she got let that sink in and we're going to have to leave it there our guest today has been carly webb Webb has been in sports journalism and sports broadcasting for over 26 years. She is currently a contributor writer for OutSports and a host of Transporter Room Podcast, which we will have a link in our show notes, centering on the intersection between transness and sports. In addition, she is a lifelong athlete, budding dual athlete and triathlete, which I will try to help her with for swimming. And when not pursuing a story, Carly is a crisis operator for Trans Lifeline, North America's only 24 hour a day, seven day a week hotline dedicated to the need of transgender people. Carly Webb, we wish you and your family health and safety during these difficult times in our country. And thank you again for joining us today. Thanks Across for having me. Lines. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. It's been our hour.
I've spoken many times on this podcast that allyship has consequences. Our guest today, Carly Webb, spoke of the need for people from the cisgender community to speak out and show support for Leah Thomas and other trans athletes. This past week, I was encouraged to read a statement from a fifth-year senior of Stanford University's women's swim team, Brooke Ford. Ford, who will swim the 500-meter freestyle at the NCAA championships, may very well face off against Thomas. Ford's father, Pat Ford, a Sports Illustrated reporter, recently asked his daughter what she thought about the situation. To a surprise, Brooke had already prepared a statement. Quote, I have great respect for Leah. Social change is always a slow and difficult process, and we rarely get it correct right away. Being among the first to lead such a social change requires an enormous amount of courage, and I admire Leah for her leadership that will undoubtedly benefit many trans athletes in the future. In 2020, I, along with most swimmers, experienced what it was like to have my chance to achieve my swimming goals taken away after years of hard work. I would not wish this experience on anyone, especially Leah, who has followed the rules required of her. I believe that treating people with respect and dignity is more important than any trophy or record will ever be, which is why I will not have a problem racing against Leah at the NCAAs this year. Close quote. Brooke Ford, thank you for your words. Thank you for your courage to do the right thing. And thank you for being not only an ally to Leah, but an accomplice. We here at Crossing the Lane Lines wish you and Leah all the best at the NCAA Championships. And may the best woman win. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.